Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, December 17th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Yazoo Pumps Project is officially dead in the water. Then civil rights groups in the state object to a new redistricting plan. And we talk schools, special needs, and the holiday season with Joy Hogue of behavioral health nonprofit Families as Allies. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has ended plans to install flood pumps in an area of the Mississippi Delta known as the Yazoo Backwater. This, after the Environmental Protection Agency under President Biden, reversed a Trump-era green light of the project. The pumps have been mired in controversy since they were first proposed decades ago. Some state officials, including Agriculture Commissioner Andy Gibson, say the project would help protect Delta farmers from weather events, like the 2019 floods that devastated the region. But advocates for the environmental for environmental protection, like Jill Mastrotero of Audubon Delta, beg to differ. For Audubon, this is a significant step forward the real path to get meaningful flood relief for the backwater communities sooner than later. The core data showed that 17% of the backwater would have remained underwater during the 2019 flood. And what that really points to is that the pumps are not the answer, that there are federal programs available now that have money that can get on the ground to help people get out of harm's way, um, and that also benefit wildlife. And so we uh, are looking forward to really working in the new year to develop these meaningful flood solutions uh, that the people of the backwater deserve that um, will help to address many of the longstanding environmental injustices they face, but also that benefit 
birds, and wildlife. What counties are we talking about here? So this is a, is a six-county uh, area uh, that kind of begins right uh, 10 miles above Vicksburg. It includes Humphreys, parts of Humphreys, Washington, Yazoo, Warren, and then Sharkey and Issaquina are fully in the backwater area. Um, and, uh, you know, we uh, understand that, you know, the majority of agriculture um, in the backwater is 80 to 90 percent white. And Sharkey and Issaquina counties that are fully in the backwater area have less than uh, 10%, 10 to, to 13% uh, ag producers uh, that are white. And so, um, you know, when we're talking about environmental justice, just because you're locating a project near communities that are predominantly non-white or black, in this case, um, it doesn't make it an environmental justice project. Um, and we believe that um, there needs to be a focus on these federal programs that are available through USDA, that are available through FEMA, available through HUD, that can help homeowners and that can also help farmers um, by voluntarily paying them, for example, to plant their farmlands back to wetlands. Um, and so we know that these are solutions that are being used across the country in communities to help alleviate flooding. And we believe that these are programs that are uh, available now that should be deployed as soon as possible uh, to provide real relief to people's lives and property and livelihoods. Um, and we stand ready to help support that in making that happen. That's Jill Mastratero of the Audubon Delta Society. Victoria Garland owns more than 1,000 acres of farmland in Sharkey and Issaquina counties. She supports the Pumps Project, and she says she's frustrated that her community's year-long wait for flood relief has now been prolonged indefinitely. The actual first flood we had, like real monumental flood we had, was uh, 2011, and then it's again reoccurred in 2019 at such catastrophic levels for so long. In 2011, I began to have to educate myself on the topic and find out what's going on and what could happen. And as time has went on, I've learned much more about the project and fully understand it. And I have seen firsthand having stayed on my farm throughout those seven months of 2019, where over half a million acres were underwater for seven months, and I saw the wildlife die. I saw the farmland submerged. I mean, it, it was almost indescribable as to the devastation that occurred from this. That all could have been avoided if they would have just finished the project that was stated back in 1941, that if you put in the backwater levee and a structure system and you are closing it off, you're going to have rainwater that comes in there and it's going to need to be pumped out or you will have a problem. And that's where we are today. We have had that problem not just once, not just twice, multiple times. And it's very frustrating. Environmentalist groups who are opposed to the Yazoo pumps, they contend that they wouldn't have been 
as effective as some people think? The data shows that if we had the pumping station in place and cut it on and off and also install the relief wells in the North Delta, that everything would be fine. It would keep the um, highways from being inundated. You could actually use them. People could remain in their homes. If you had your homes elevated to a certain level that, you know, there's certain criteria when you live in a flood zone that you have to meet, and if they're up to that, they could still remain there. They wouldn't lose their homes. There wouldn't be issues like this. And all we need to do is have the pumps installed, and we could actually maintain living in our homes, and our life wouldn't be that disruptive. I mean, it would be life-changing. What has this meant for your family's farm? I mean, 2019, we went without a whole year of income. And 2020, we did not have the full amount of acreage we were supposed to be able to farm because it flooded yet again. And it's very frustrating that this is still going on today and that there is data that proves this, that there are people who don't live here and think they know better than the people that live here. And the people who live here have seen the devastation. We have the pictures of the dead wildlife. We have the pictures of the water standing on these trees in the national forest for over seven months long. We have pictures of all of this, and they just want to keep on with what they believe. What happens yeah, now? Yeah, we've got facts. Well, we hope and pray that we don't flood until we can get something done. We're not getting We just have to hang on and try and make it. Victoria Garland owns farmland in Sharkey and Issaquina counties. Coming up, civil rights groups in the state object to a new redistricting plan. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi's Joint Legislative Redistricting Committee approved a plan earlier this week to expand the land area of the state's second congressional district, but they didn't do so without controversy. Civil rights groups in the state say the committee did its work behind closed doors in violation of the Open Meetings Act. The groups have filed a complaint with the State Ethics Committee. Joshua Tom is legal director of the ACLU of Mississippi. Every 10 years after the census, uh, each state, including Mississippi, has to engage in redistricting of both its U.S. congressional and state legislative districts. And this redistricting process is extremely important for political representation in the state, for people to be able to elect representatives of their choosing, and for people to be able to have input in uh, public policy. As the uh, Mississippi legislature is doing this important work, um, they are subject to the Open Meetings Act, which requires them to hold public meetings and do this important redistricting work in public. To date, they have not done that. They have only held three public meetings um, around redistricting that have lasted 45 minutes total. 
Um, and when today, you say total, you mean for each meeting? All three meetings combined lasted around 45 minutes. And, you know, in order to um, engage in redistricting, it requires a lot of analysis of population changes, racial composition of the population in various areas, drawing maps, considering maps, rejecting maps, et cetera. None of that, if any of it, could be done in 45 minutes. And so, you know, it's clear that uh, the legislative redistricting committees have done most, if not all, of this important redistricting work behind closed doors uh, in violation of the Open Meetings Act. And so that's why um, the ACLU Mississippi and other civil rights organizations filed uh, the complaint today. What will this complaint do? This complaint uh, hopes to ensure that um, important legislative work, including redistricting, is done uh, in view of the public and with the ability of the public to have input. There's no guarantees that you know we're going to get what we want, but that is the purpose of it. So are you saying you want them to get rid of this proposed plan and do another one with people from the community involved? Currently, um, our request is, is, is purely procedural. You know, substantively, you know, if we have substantive complaints, that's going to be raised in another forum. They need to follow the state law, the Open Meetings Act, and do their legislative redistricting work in public meetings uh, and allow public input. Will this complaint go before a judge? Uh, under the Open Meetings Act, before you can go uh, before a judge, you have to go before the Ethics Commission. And so, you know, once the Ethics Commission gives a decision, there is the uh, opportunity for either side to appeal that to a court. This sounds like very involved. Could it slow down the process of redistricting? I don't think so. You know, the, you know, the, the legislative committees are, you know, have been and are going to continue to do their work. And, you know, that's why we hope that the Ethics Commission hears this speedily. And um, so we can get a resolution there or potentially go before a court to get uh, a resolution there. What do you want to come out of this? We want the redistricting work of the legislative committees in Mississippi to be done in compliance with the law. And it's as simple as that. They need to do this important redistricting work in public meetings so the public can see it and so the public can have input. After this congressional proposed plan... I have been told they have been also working on the House and Senate redistricting plans. Are you concerned that those have been done behind closed doors? You know, based on, you know, just through the grapevine from what we've heard, uh, the same thing that the um, legislative committees on redistricting have at the same time of uh, working on the congressional plans, also been working on the state legislative plans. And so we hope the Ethics Commission resolves this complaint very speedily so that, you know, any further uh, work by the committees on state legislative plans is done in compliance with the Open Meetings Act, which means is done in public meetings um, before the public and with uh, the possibility of public input. Anything that I didn't ask you that is important to point out about this? You know, there are Supreme Court decisions um, that say that the Open Meetings Act is, you know, in the public interest um, because the public's work should be done 
in public. And, you know, courts have said, including the Mississippi Supreme Court, that the Open Meetings Act should be construed liberally and that any ex exceptions to the Open Meetings Act should be construed narrowly. And, you know, based on, you know, what we've seen the legislative committees do in public and the fact that they adopted a U.S. congressional map today, you know, what we're asking is is pretty simple. Follow the Open Meetings Act and do this work in public and allow public input. Joshua Tom with the American Civil Liberties Union of Mississippi, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us. Thanks so much for having me, Desiree. In a written statement, Mississippi Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman defended the committee's work and pushed back against the idea that key decisions have been made in secret. Coming up, we talk schools, special needs, and the holiday season with Joy Hogue of Behavioral Health Nonprofit Families as Allies. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi's public school children with special needs often have individualized learning plans, or IEPs, to help them engage with the learning process. But the plans can sometimes fall short, exposing kids to a greater likelihood of suspension or expulsion from school. That's according to Joe Hogue, who's director of a nonprofit called Families as Allies. Hogue says the problem is particularly acute during the holiday season. There's this tendency that happens throughout the year that if the child's IEP isn't set up in a way that's really accommodating their needs so they can be just as engaged in learning and in school as other children, that more problems tend to happen. And then that often gets put off on the parent, you know, things like telling them to come, asking them to come pick them up early or bring them to school late or keep them home for a mental health day. But those children have just as much of a right to be at school and be learning as everybody else. And plus, they're only um, allowed to be suspended up to 10 days a year before a meeting's held to see if the issues are related to their disability. So sometimes that's a way of getting around that. And then that seems to increase around the holidays. I don't know if it's the added stress or if their teachers are feeling a little overwhelmed and there's, even if it's not conscious, a tendency to try to get them out of school early before the break starts so that the school is getting a longer break from them than they would have during the regular holiday winter break. So is it an issue of behavioral problems or the students aren't learning? Well, those two things are really connected because if a child has a disability related to their behavior or their mental health, and they are going to need extra support, and that's what an IEP does, to help them stay on task and be engaged in learning. But children who are engaged in learning, whether they have behavior problems or not, are going, are going to be less likely to act out. So if they're engaged in learning, that's going to take care of a lot of things. But there may need to be different pathways to help them do that because of the challenges they have. 
But don't most students get more antsy near the end of the year? They know Christmas is coming and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all do. We all do. So that's just normal human behavior, but it doesn't mean that a child doesn't have the, you know, same rights to be in school and learning as other children. What hardship, if any, does it pose for families? Well, it's hard. I mean, it's hard because nobody wants to be worried that their child's not learning and their child's not doing well at school. And then if they get suspended right before the break and the family isn't really aware of what all their rights are and they're spending the whole break wondering what in the world's going to happen when we get back to school and what's going to be the resolution of this issue, that's going to put put a damper on the holiday. And also there's probably going to be more stress between that parent and child just because of what happened. So it's just really hard. And there's a lot of unknowns. Who is accountable in these situations? You know, I'm not a lawyer, but one thing about laws like the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and that's what lays out how special education is supposed to be done. They hold institutions, not individuals, responsible for what happens. So they hold school districts. That law holds school districts accountable for what happens with children with disabilities, and then it holds the State Department of Education accountable for making sure that districts follow that law. So it's not about what this parent should do or that parent should do. You know, I'm a parent, and I know all parents, we can all learn things that we can do better, but federal laws are not about what we're supposed to do. They're about what systems like school districts are are legally obligated to do. How do you help families that call you? Well, the first thing we do is we always listen because, you know, a lot of times we've been in the exact same shoes that they're in. So just having that listening ear and knowing that somebody understands can be really helpful. But then we also help them understand what their rights are in situations like that and things to ask for. Like if a parent calls and says the school's telling them to come just pick the child up, we always encourage encourage families to find out if that child actually suspended and if they're not suspended and you don't have that suspension paperwork in your hands don't pick them up because that may be a way of just skirting the laws about um, how many days a child with a disability can be suspended things like that so helping them understand their rights and then There's different kinds of meetings that can be related to this, like having an IEP meeting to better understand the suspension if the child has been suspended, a manifestation determination hearing to see if it was related to their, um, what happened was related to the child's disability, helping families understand those meetings, helping them prepare for meetings, coaching them, not about what we think they should say, but coaching them through what they're thinking, what they're wanting for their child and how to, you know, prepare and say things in a way where they can make their point in those kinds of meetings and understand what's going on. And then if they're not able to resolve it, then we help families understand what their rights are about if they want to pursue some sort of formal complaint process or something like that with the district. Joy Hogue is Director of Families as Allies. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.